cut it was a bad decision, all bad decision. This was the worst of all when I decided to become involved with drugs and I became a heroin addict as a result of like being idle and not doing anything. And that led me ultimately to the decision that led me to prison and serving 40 years. Big it up, big it up. Yeah. All right, welcome to Let's Talk Real with Mel. We've got Mr. Charles Hopkins here. Uh, I met Charles uh, not that long ago, actually at church. He came, he came to our church. But I'll let you introduce yourself, Charles. Tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, where you came from. Uh, all right, I, first of all, like, thank you, uh, Mel, for having me uh, and paying for the lift to get me here. Right. <laughs> uh, I never would have found it if I was driving. But as far as myself, I'm, I'm a 70-year-old. I'm, I'm recently re, uh, released from prison. Two, I've been out of prison two years. I was incarcerated 48 years and some change before I was released. I am currently staying in the District of Columbia. I work with a group called uh, Voices for a Second Chance, and I'm a social activist. I'm really into the space of doing things and advocating for the disadvantaged and people that don't have, uh, and try to provide them with information on how they can become more empowered. So that's, that's basically where I am. Uh, and I, like I said, I thank you for having me. With, get, you know, when we was in church, you told me that, uh, you asked, you offered me an invitation, and uh, I didn't think it would be like this here. It's just a really? very good uh, organization that you have here, so I'm really excited to delve into the conversation. Well, thank you, and thank you for coming. Uh, like I said, when I heard your story, it, it was amazing, and it, and, it, and it touched me, you know, personally. And so I wanted to, and I, and I think that your story deserves to be heard, and we have a, an, an audience that could definitely benefit from the, from the journey. And, and um, you know, every, everything's, everything's not roses and rainbows. That's right. You know, and we, we learn, we sometimes learn more, I think, we learn more when we have challenge than when things are easy. I agree. So, so if we, you know, so if we could just, you know, let's talk real. We could just, you know, get to it. I mean, what were the circumstances? You said 40, I mean, 48 years and change, mm -hmm. almost 49 years you were incarcerated. What were the circumstances that led to, and, to and, that? And the circumstances that led to that and, and uh, a lot of bad decisions. And I always talk about this when I was uh, going on speaking to bad decisions. First bad decision I made was I dropped out of school. So then when I dropped out of school, I dropped out of school in the 10th grade. That was the first bad decision. I didn't have no marketable skills. I'm young, and I don't have no ability to gain income. The next bad decision I made was I signed up for Job Corps with the hope of like, getting some kind of structure. And I knew my parents weren't going to let me stay in that house without doing something. Their hope was that I would go back to school. I went to Job Corps. Next bad decision I made, I dropped out of Job Corps. I went to Job Corps, nice environment. Job Corps is everything it turned out to be. Give you a marketable skill, give you the ability to acquire the information and knowledge to be able to work. Dropped out of Job Corps. And what year, what year was that? All, and all this was in the 60s, 65, 66, and 67. Was Job Corps still over at Blue Plains? No, nah, I went when, when the Job Corps back then, they, you had a choice where you could go. And I wound up in Breckenridge, Kentucky. Okay. So, so now, mind you, I'm coming out of the District of Columbia. I've never been nowhere in my life. 
So I'm, I'm going, I'm in Breckenridge, Kentucky. It was an old army base. And it was, it was a good facility. It was a good uh, environment. Basically taught you all the mechanics, electronics, uh, painting, home improvement, and things of this nature. Next bad decision I made when I dropped out of Jocko, and this was the, the, the bad decision of all bad decisions. If it could be characterized as a bad decision, all bad decisions, this was the worst of all when I decided to become involved with drugs and I became a heroin addict as a result of like being idle and not doing anything. And that led me ultimately to the decision that led me to prison and serving 40 years. I winded up because I'm a heroin addict, I'm trying to get money, I'm trying to get money at all costs. And so it, I, ultimately I was on like a petty crime spree and eventually I wind up, found myself, me and some other people, problem with 7-Eleven and uh, the patron got, was killed. I was charged with it, I found guilty of it, and I was sentenced to life in prison. And I did, and I was sentenced to life in prison in the Maryland system. And I, that was 1971 when I got arrested. 1973 when I got convicted, and 2019 when I was released. Wow. So 71, 73, fast forward to, to, to 2019. So let's, if we could kind of put a pin in that for a second, and I want to go back. Mm -hmm. You said you, you, you grew up in, in Southeast right by where, where right. my church is. Tell, mm -hmm. tell us about what that was like growing and, up. In, and and uh, growing up. In, in, the, in the And that would have been in the, in the that 50s, 50s and, and 60s. 60s. Right. And growing up in, in Southeast Washington, I went, to, I went to district, I went to public school, I went to Turner Elementary. I went to Moulton Elementary, and I went to Douglas Junior High School before we moved out in Maryland. And growing up in Southeast, you know, you don't really, under, you don't really know that you're not, that you don't have a lot, or that you're poor when you're in a, when you have, you're in a community where everybody pretty much the same, and that's not a determination on how you relate to each other. So we had a real sense of community in, in the area that I lived in, and uh, I, you know, I helped, I, I was never really a big guy, so I couldn't get, I, you know, I wanted the paper where I couldn't get my own because my mother didn't think I would be able to handle it. So, but I always helped other people with their paper routes and they would pay me, give me a stipend. Uh, in the environment, in the, in, the, in the community in Southeast, the rec centers was the primary source of uh, social activity. So the rec centers in the District of Columbia were like, everybody went to the rec center. Everybody had, rec center had something to offer everybody. So we, I did a lot of networking with the rec center. When Murray and Burry came into the District of Columbia and they started some of a job, mm -hmm. one of my first jobs was the rec center. And it was in Parkland in Southeast. They had opened up a daycare for the, for the Parkland children. And that was one of my first jobs. Went down there, I signed up for the Department of Recreation, and the Department of Recreation was doing this to provide services for the community. And so we cleaned up the area and created a daycare center. That was my first job I had. And it was my first source of income. Uh, and Mayor, so, Mayor Berry, some of these programs. Mayor Berry, and, and to the day, it's still going on. Mm -hmm. And you got a lot of people that talk about how that created in them a sense of value about working. So that's so Southeast was, you know, you had you know you had to fight, you had to, you know you had to survive, you know, but the reality was that you had a sense of the community, and if you had a disagreement with somebody, y'all wind up fighting. That was the end of that. 
It didn't resolve nobody getting killed. It didn't resolve me going to get no gun and shooting nobody. And it didn't resolve no drive-by. It just resolved in. It was taken care of in that moment. In that moment, in yeah. That take your licks and keep it moving. And and uh, it wasn't a, and, it, and it wasn't like you felt some kind of way that maybe I did get beat up. I no long as I fought back. That was really the determining factor. Determining factor back then was did you stand up for yourself, not did you go kill somebody in defense of a minor dispute. So. Yeah, and I think that 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 I mean that lesson the, the both of those the sense of community that that we had at that time or that you had at that time and even things have changed over the years you know as people the neighborhoods are more spread out mm -hmm. you know you you now you see you know you see your neighbor maybe you wave but you don't know your neighbor's names but right. you know i know when when uh, when i was younger i was kind of right on the tail end where if your if your neighbor saw you doing something they would definitely tell your parents mm -hmm. and i'm sure by the time when, when my mom was little and i'm sure when you were younger right. the neighbor might actually even whoop you too oh yeah you got yeah you and and the thing about respect and that comes with respect because one all the children in the neighborhood knew everybody's parents and the parents in the neighborhood they knew your situation so if they if they know you hadn't eaten or you know they know what you're going on with your family. So they tell you come on in and get something to eat, and it wasn't it wasn't like that wasn't an uncommon thing. Another thing is that the, the parents in the neighborhood, if they seen you in a certain area that you didn't belong in, they would they would immediately chastise you. They knew you know okay you hang around older men, and you know they know these men that don't mean good in terms of what they're doing, and but they also know that they're not going to force you to do something you don't want to do. So your attraction to them, they might tell you, that, you know, boy, get away from here. But when you see the parent of of them same people, and they come and say, you know, it's a big, it's a big difference because you know that parent once she gonna beat you or he gonna beat you, then he gonna go home and tell your parents, and your parents gonna beat you. Yeah, so you, so yeah, you, so you put more, you had more fear of them, and and more respect to them. So you automatically like you see them like. You know, one family in my neighborhood was the Dunmores. She had a lot of sons. And when you see Miss Dunmore, as soon as she sees, she call you by your name. Or like the police, and we was talking about this the other day, the officer friendly, they call them officer friendly now, but you had, you had officers that was walked the beat. They walked that same neighborhood. They knew you. And it was crazy, because they, they not only did they know you, but they asked you, say, who's your parents? You know, oh, my, my father, so-and-so, or you, so-and-so's son, and take you to the house because they had that kind of relationship in the neighborhood. Yeah, at that, yeah, at that time, it's, there wasn't the same uh, kind of fear of police that there are now right. so much because, the, you know, again, sense of community. Everyone was kind of working together, raising their family, raising their community together. Mm -hmm. And so, okay, so, so then you were um, working on the paper route and then a point in time came where you decided uh, you know, school wasn't for you. What what was? Well, and see what happened. And in the transition, that we moved from D.C. to Merlin, and we moved from D.C. to Merlin. You know, this is the first time I ever experienced racism, because even though you you, you see you know you know institutional racism exists, but to experience it individually or in your face is a different thing. And when you're living in the projects and public housing, you know you insulated from like a lot of things going on around in the world. So, you know, you very rarely did you see any white people in your neighborhood. You had a lot of people that were like of Jewish descent 
and they primarily owned the businesses, but they, you know, they didn't, you didn't look at them no different than you. They did business, they, that's how they did things, and, and you, you understood that to be the case. But then when we moved out of Maryland, we where'd, moved out where, where'd Suitland, you go? moved out of Suitland, Maryland. Okay. And, and this was like right on the hill, this right before Dr. King was assassinated. Because mm -hmm. Dr. King was assassinated. When, so, and we're out there, and now it's a difference. My, I, remember, I remember distinctly, I went to the store, and the guy it was running 7-Eleven, he asked me, like, what, I'm a, what, what are you doing in here? I'm like, I'm buying, I'm paying, I'm, you know, I'm trying to get some candy. I'm he said, well, well, hurry, I'm getting to get the, you know, your in ass out of here. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, you know. I felt some kind of way, which led me to ultimately go back down there and start stealing everything in the store. Because that, that gave me an attitude, okay, oh, you got a problem with me, I got a problem with you. And so that right there caused me to, ultimately drop out of school. Cause I, when I went through the ninth grade, it was good. But when I got in the 10th grade, and you in high school, now it's a little bit more rigid. And the mm -hmm. teachers are a little bit more like direct and confrontational. And I remember distinctly one time, we, we was in English class, and we had a spelling test. I didn't study for the spelling test, but this white girl behind me was giving me, was like, to get past me the words, and I was, and I was you know, I was spelling, and she, the teacher must have knew. And instead of her saying, like, you know, calling me out in the hallway and, and chast, she chastised me right in front of the class and did it in the most belligerent and hostile way, which caused me to respond in the most belligerent and hostile way. When she says, you know, uh, you're cheating, you don't know, you know, you're dumb. And I said, okay, you're right where I want you at right now. I said, man, you know, like, F you and, and, and left. And that right there, that, that opened the door from when I went back and was telling my, my mother and them. And mind you, I got two other sisters going to the same school, uh, one above me. She in everything. She's like the drill major. She's like, she an acclimated. I'm like, you know, I'm hating this school. And the one under me, she was, me and her was, had the same attitude. Only difference is she wasn't as, as hostile. She didn't, she didn't feel as hostile at the, at the point I felt. Mm -hmm. So... And, we, and it's during the period where you had like a lot of civil rights and a racial up, unrest, and Dr. King get killed. Now it's a different story. So that led me to drop out of school. What was the what school was that in Maryland? That was Suitland Senior was Suitland, High School. Suitland High School. Okay. Yep, Suitland, so right Suitland. on right on Silver Hill Road. So I don't know if they yep. were, were they still on Silver Hill Road? Yeah. Yep. And and okay. uh, and uh, and I rode by I ride I rode by a couple of times, and and. Uh, and and when you look at it, when you look at how it's changed, but back then, it was it was. Remember, they had busing. You had you know all that stuff was going on. So you the civil rights bill passed. Now you have to go. Schools have to be integrated, and a lot of schools didn't want to be integrated. Suitland was already integrated, but it was segregated in terms of the administration. They didn't you know you had a lot of like I said a lot of racism. So that ultimately led me to. to I couldn't make the adjustment. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't that, you know, you had other black kids and minorities and people of color, they, they made the adjustment. I just, I, I just couldn't make the adjustment. Mentally, I couldn't make the adjustment. And not making the adjustment mentally had a lot to do with, one, I didn't want to be out there. I wanted to go, I wanted, I, you know, I wanted to go to vocational school. I knew I was getting ready, you know, I was in ninth grade. I knew ultimately I was going to, you know, 
being high school. And I wanted to go to a, a vocational school. Back then, they had Chambers uh, Vocational School over there off of Pennsylvania Avenue. I wanted to go there. But when I got out here, you know, they had Crossland Senior High, mm -hmm. was a premier vocational school. And we took a trip out there one time. And, and the floors were so clean. The, 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 and now, in comparison to what it looked like now, the, the grass was manicured, the floors were clean. And we went in there, and they had, it was vocational school. And everything in there was lovely white. So it, it, I didn't even feel like that even if I could get in there, I would be able to get in there. And the instructors, you know, they pretty much was like talking to everybody but us. So, you know, that's, that, that, that shaped my thinking. Mm -hmm. It ultimately led me into making more bad decisions. Okay, so, but, the, but it sounds like the, 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 the real precipice of the, 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 the real reason that you actually, had the, all this friction happened when you were kind of uprooted, good, bad, ugly out of the community which you, which you knew and were raised in, in Parkland, Southeast, and then going into Suitland. Right, and, and, that's, and that's really the genesis of it. it and, not being, and not being prepared mentally. Like I said, you know, we're moving, we're, my father, we got a house. We got grass, we got a fence. We got every, you know, we got, we got like, we starting to become a middle class lifestyle. And, so really, in my, it, I should have been jumping for joy, but because of, it, it, you know, you're in the suburb and you don't have the same sense of community and everything is distance. And when you start networking with people of, of, of your own color, then, you know, they're upperly mobile. So you're looking at like people that's like more affluent. I didn't have no issue with that. It was just that I couldn't adjust to the racial, the racism that existed and not being equipped, because this is new. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and so now, I'm, when I, and once I become confrontational, you know, then now I'm, I'm, becoming, I'm gonna become predatorial. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so now if we, um, you know, kind of bring us back into, so we went to Kentucky, we left, and we, you know, came back this way, and then ultimately we had a, a, a battle with addiction. Right, and see, and, and that's a good segue because we're talking about, like, when I come back into the District of Columbia, it's in the 70s. And the drug, the drug addiction epidemic in the District of Columbia and in the nation is, is bad. You know, when you look at the American gangster Frank Matthews, when you look at that story, you put that story into the reality of the country. And, you know, he's you know, he talking about selling Blue Magic, but a lot of people on the East Coast was getting drugs from there. And then now, drug, drugs is like heavily into the community. And I remember, I remember my first encounter. I, I ran across a guy, I was going down to my sister's house. I ran across a guy that was in job call with me. And he told me, he said, man, uh, we, we, you know, the first time I seen him since I've been out, we both was seen each other. And we, you know, talking about job call. Both of us dropped out of job call. And he was saying like, so I'm asking him what he doing. He said, man, I'm selling drugs. I don't know nothing about what that is. I'm like, selling drugs? He said, yeah. I got dollar pills. So he said, so I said, dollar, you know, I'm trying to get all the in this house of it, right? He said, yeah, show them to me, right? I said, well, give me five of them, right? And that ain't capsules, so I'm thinking you swallow them. But I don't know, so when I get to where I'm going at, I say, I tell, bring to my brother-in-law's attention, who unbeknownst to me at the time was a drug addict. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. and was used. And I say, look, this is what the guy gave me, right? And so he showed me how to, you know, snort it. That opened the, that opened the door up for, now I'm in an environment that, okay, all the depression, all the things going on with me, I got something that can make me feel comfortable with that. I got something that can make me feel uh, a sense of, like, security. In the, in the NA literature, they say, this is one of the things I remember this, I went through the NA, they say, through our inability to accept personal responsibility, we slowly committed suicide. And that's what it felt great with me. I didn't have to take personal responsibility for none of the decisions I made. I could go ahead and just go right here and mm -hmm. find the company. And everything would Every, be, yeah, everything would be is good. Everything is good. My inability to accept personal responsibility. And that's what, and now, but, you know, don't nobody tell you, you know, and, and like we, we talk about, you know, why people do what they do, but don't nobody, when it comes to drugs, don't nobody tell you, say, like, oh, yeah, here, here go manual on how to use PCP. Here go manual on how to use fentanyl. Here go manual on ecstasy, love boat. So here, when you do this, when you do this, remember, go to page 10, and page 10 gonna tell you what's gonna happen to you. So before you do it, go to page 10 first and see. Yeah, if, if you go to page yeah, 10, yeah. they wouldn't. They, yeah, you they, wouldn't do it. Yeah, give the book yeah, back. Yeah, give the book right. back. Say, yeah, yeah, take this back. Right. And take, take the book back. Yeah, right. take it all back. But don't, it's not that kind of situation. It's a disease, and I, and I fell victim of it, and I enjoyed it. And, and I thank God, by the grace of God, I don't use the day. But it's only because I chose, I choose to follow the things that I understand about that. But that's what led, when in the disease, it led me to like do things that don't take personal responsibility. Don't have no money, take somebody's money. Don't take personal responsibility for not having money. Have it, you know, I had I had jobs. I had jobs in the course of that, in the course of that period. In the course of the seventies, when I got our job call, uh, the District of Columbia was friendly to like people like myself that didn't have jobs. You know, you had a lot of programs, so I got in program. But once I became addicted, I didn't have the ability to maintain no job because my drug addiction was priority. Yeah, and that took over. That took over. Took precedent. That, that was the most important thing yeah. going on at the time. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then, you know, we, we fast forward a little bit. A point in time came where we actually, we got... Sentence. You said this was seventy three. Mm hmm. Okay. And 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 this was on the heels of me committing a crime, uh, armed robbery, and murder, and I killed somebody in the course of uh, trying to get some money. And it was three of us. And the amount of money we got out of there, it wasn't enough. It was it was twenty seven dollars from the store. I wind up getting life sentence and doing forty eight years for that decision. And the most Damaging thing about that decision was I took somebody's life, and I could never take that back. I could never reverse that, I, and I did that. I intended to do it, but once you make a decision to go somewhere with a gun, the consequences of, your, of, of that decision to carry a gun, whatever happened after that, that's the decision you made when you picked up the gun to go do something, to carry it, wherever you carry that. If I make a decision to, to get in the car, and, and put an illegal weapon on me and, and drive around, the consequences that come out of that is, is made, was made on that decision to put that on. So if I get road rage and I blow somebody's brain out, I made a decision to get a gun to go do, not to go do something, but the consequences. Yeah, the decision was made, made earlier. It <laughs> yeah. wasn't in that moment. moment right, right. Already, it was already in the works. It was already in the works. And that's, and that's what happened. 
So, and you know, I don't, I don't look at it. I could, I could be labeled or be moaned rather the fact that I did all that time. I could be moaned that you know, I missed a lot of opportunity. But the reality is, I came out a better person than I went in. Because had I not been sentenced. I'd have, I'd have been dead in the alley somewhere because I, I wasn't changing, I wasn't, I wasn't changing my thinking. I wasn't looking for help. I was looking to get worse. I was looking for more drugs. I was looking for more insanity, as they call it. Uh, you know, they say insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. That was me. So I was expecting, I'm gonna keep on doing the same thing over and over again. Hey, I ain't really care about the results as long as it aided me in my disease. Yeah. So, and, and so, and that, that changed, so this, that brings us to, you know, what was it that changed? Because obviously, you know, you're clean, you're working, you, you've got a place, you've got a car, you're doing, and, and you've been home two years. What was the, what was it that changed? And that, was it, I, yeah. was it when did you change when you came home? Did, 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 did that process of change start? And, and you know what, and, and that's a good question because the process started when I, immediately when I got arrested because then I knew, I, I, knew I, I, I knew I was in deep water. So I already knew that I wasn't, the chance of me coming home like the next day was slim to none. And I said that well, what got me here is not going to get me out because now, I'm, on, now I, I'm not giving up on, on come, getting out. I already knew that my situation was bad. And I knew the deck was stacked against me in the sense of me being in an environment that I had no control over. I ain't had no control over the courts. I ain't had no control over it. And I had money to pay for a lawyer. I ain't had no control over none of those things. So I knew what I did have control over was changing the way I thought. And that's when the change came. It came immediately. It came, it was like instantaneously. Because I, I knew, I said, man, I'm this not me. And as much as I was enjoying the insanity or while in the misery, I wasn't. I really need, I wanted to get out. I just knew they couldn't get out. And it says the grips of addiction. And that's what I was in. And once that grip loosened up because of my conservation of rest, I started looking at myself and started doing some introspection, which led me to start educating myself. I'm, you know, I think I told, I said that uh, when I was in church, I had a eighth grade education, and I had like maybe about a fifth grade reading level. So I started doing those things. So everything I needed to do to better myself, I started doing it, which opened the door for me to start being networking with people that was also doing those things, or, and finding people that wanted me to do those things. Right. We say all the time the, 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 the best way to change our situation is to change our environment. Mm -hmm. So you, your environment, even though within the institution, changed because right. you started associating with folks that were reading, that were getting more educated, you know, folks that were saved. Yeah. You know, and exactly. so, so t tell us a little bit about that, that journey of, um, you know, of finding Jesus. And, 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 and the interesting thing about that is, when I got in, when I came in the prison system, I was like, I've been, I was everything. I was a former, I was a member of Black Panther Party. Uh, we had a collective group in there. I was a part of that. I was, I, I became a Muslim. I was that. I, you know, I was looking for identity again. I'm looking for, and this is what this is all boiled down to. I'm looking for an identity, some, somewhere, somewhere I can be comfortable. And I, it was only in 2000, 
and 17, when, when this decision came down in the court, they said everybody arrested between uh, 1970 and 1980 had to get a new trial because the way they was instructing our juries, it was unconstitutional. And so everybody was given a new trial, and I was given one as well. And I left from the prison, the Maryland prison system, and went to Upper Marlboro County Detention Center. Okay. That's where I okay. went. At, I went up there in, 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 in lieu of a new trial. And now I'm in the environment. Don't nobody know me in the Maryland prison system. I'm known by everybody. Every I can't go to no prison in the Maryland prison system that don't nobody know me, because I'm I'm always doing activities. I'm always sponsoring. I'm always got something going on, like involving the population and. and you know, socializing, getting getting programmed. I'm, I'm real heavy on that. When I get in the Marlboro, don't nobody know me. Now I can now, so while I'm there, I'm like, okay, I know I'm getting ready to come home. I'm thinking about what I need to do. So I need to get a place. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm starting like, look yeah, at these things. It's, it's happening. Yeah, it's, it's real. Yeah, it's going to be, it's real. Yeah. And, but that wasn't what kept on annoying, like nagging at me. You know those things because I was in. They had certain resources that I had already tapped into, so I already knew I could say, okay, I can go here and I can do this. What was nagging at me was I ain't had no spiritual foundation, and that's and and it was like nagging at me, nagging at me. You know, okay, I what what then what? You know, okay, okay, you get out now what? And uh, myself, one of my cell buddies was talking about, yeah, man, they had prayer circle down here, and uh, they, you know. I said, yeah, I said, yeah. So I, 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 went, I remember this distinctly. I went around the corner and we was in the section 16. And this is the section where everybody come in Marlboro, you coming literally as you are. You, some guys still on a boat, you know, stinking, you know, homeless. I mean, like, this is like. Intake. Yeah, it's the worst of the worst. And, and uh, when I went around the corner, the guy was calling press over, said, press over. He walked around the, in, 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 the, in the unit. Prayer circle. My guy around the corner was like about 40 people in the circle. And I'm looking and, and they beat up and they bad. They like the ones that was on when Jesus fed. They were like that. They was like the worst of the worst. But they was in this circle and the guy was telling him, man, you know, whatever going on, we just talk about it, you know. God love you. And I was in awe because you could hear the, you could hear the sincerity in these people. And it didn't have nothing to do with what they're going to do when they leave, but it was an opportunity for them at that time to talk about what was going on with them. And like a few, maybe a few weeks later, I converted. Mm -hmm. And when I converted, I said, you know what, I'm, I tried everything else, I'm going to try this. And no matter what, I must always stay in the presence of the Lord. And that's been my mantra. No matter what, mm -hmm. coming and going, I'm always, I'm always like, thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Coming and going. Yesterday, I hadn't been, I've been doing a speaking engagement, so I hadn't been to church, at my church in a while. And I woke when I was, I said, oh, I'm going to church today. And when I got up, that's, everything was on that. And, and the pastor's son had called me and was asking me, they, he said, man, you know, I want you to read something you're going to be. I said, yeah, I'm, oh, I'm going to be there. Because if I'm not doing, if I don't have no prior engagement, if I'm not holding, and I'm going there and I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do in that regard because I gotta be thankful. It's only by God's grace that I'm where I'm at today. It's only by God's grace that I can meet a male. 
it's only by God's grace I can come up to a, a building like this. You know, it's, it, if it wasn't for God's grace and mercy, I was up in a uh, maximum security prison in Cumberland. The only thing that was going to come to my door in terms of me being free was a body bag because I was going to ultimately die from being in prison. It wasn't, it wasn't that's just inevitable. Mm -hmm. Health, you know, where, how many ever years, but that's what's going to be the, how we're going to get out. It's only by God's grace that I walked out. So yeah, I'm forever yeah. thankful. Yeah, and, and, and I think the, 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 the little, the shift in mindset from even from being arrested and then just being open to something different. I think we, we talk oftentimes about being in a, in a constant state of learning. And, and you know, I think when, the moment we feel like we know everything and we stop learning or we close the door to learning and, and, and taking in new experiences, that's when we start dying, I think, on the inside a little yeah, bit. And, and, yeah, and, 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 the thing about, and, the, and the thing about that is, is when the only way you're going to survive any type of hardship, any type of difficulty, is you gotta think. You know, you gotta have a mindset. You know, even if a person is, is got is terminal, they can go like, just shut down. I don't want this no more. Or they can say, you know what? I'm good. I'm good. I'm thankful, and I'm gonna live each day as if you know, it's the most wonderful day in my life. You'll see the difference. Mm -hmm. I remember my uncle, and you know, my uncle passed away. And he had cancer. And I said, man, I heard, when I, when I talked to him, I said, man, I heard you, you know, like, he said, man, I'm good. You know, I'm not, you know. And, and, it, and the, <laughs> I was like, and it made sense. And that's, what, that's, what, and that's the attitude I took. I'm going to be, I'm going to do, I'm, I'm not going to do what I did before. So I'm going to try to value, take value in everything I do, put value in everything. And, and my thinking, I always educate myself, always learning, always being open to hearing you know, new ideas and being, that's really what got me over in the long run. Yeah, so being that, 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 op that, that learning mindset. And again, like I said, one of my mentors tell me you can, you can uh, complain about your resources, complain about your situation, or you can be resourceful. Mm -hmm. And you've been, been very resourceful. So now, let's, let's what, so you, you come home, tell us what that, what that was like, that experience. And, and, that, and that experience, I, I, you know, like, I, there's, when, the re, when they release you, they normally release you to, from one place, but they change. So they, they release me from uh, the uh, reception center in Baltimore. Okay. And, and I, I'm calling my family, telling them that they know I'm going to get out, but I want to make sure they, you know, they connect. I couldn't, they wouldn't let me make the collect call. So I'm out in Baltimore, and it's like 6 o'clock at night. And all I'm thinking about is how do I get back to Washington? So I got a, uh, I got, they gave me fifty dollars, and I'm looking around. Cause now I said I gotta try to get somebody, get a call. If I can call my family, I can tell them where I'm at. Then I can go somewhere and like, I know the area. The area not that safe when the sun go down. I already know that. <laughs> then I can go somewhere where I know <laughs> a little bit more lit, right? So uh, I see a gentleman come off the bus. I say, man, look, I see him with the phone. I said, look, man, I got. He said, man, I'm gonna get on the bus. Right? And I see an elderly woman come off the bus. I said, look, miss, I got 50 that I've been locked up 48 years. I'm going to give 25 of these I just need to make a call. And I heard somebody call me. It was my family members. And so that's how I wound up back. 
and 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 I, I'm, it, it didn't occur to me that I was home and I was out until we got to the house. And when we got to the house, that's when it occurred to me. And, and every, like the, the weight of the world like just fell off me. And I all would start crying. And it was a joyous occasion. Six months after being out, mm-hmm. one of my family members, you know, I was staying with, told me I had to leave. So I wind up homeless. And in that six months, of mind of, of homes. I had this, I was doing some networking. I got, you know, with Samaritan Ministry, uh, the Strive Program, which teaches, you know, teach, taught me social skills and how to, like, navigate, you know, the environment. So I was I was equipped with understanding certain things. Yeah, because you're a Strive Program yeah, graduate. I was a Strive Program graduate. So it equipped me with, equipped me with, like, the social skills to be able to interact and understand difficult situations from a societal point of view. I ain't got to revert back to the prison mentality. You know, when in prison, it's a problem, it's confrontational. It's no such thing as a problem that's not confrontational. It, how it escalates determines how confrontational it is, you know. But everything's a confrontation. Everything's got that. So you like, I'm in commissary line, you get in front of me, it's a problem. How much of a problem it's going to be determines where it go from there, you know. Put food on your tray, you don't like the way you put it on it, it's a problem. So. It showed me how to look at things from a society perspective and allow me to be in that space when I, got, when I found myself homeless. So instead of be, be, you know, all the woes me and pity party, I started like looking at the real estate. I'm, I'm you know, looking to see what I got to do, contacting mm-hmm. people, you know, networking. They put me in a, a guy wind up in a shelter called Nehemiah Project that allowed me, that gave me a sense of security. I was able to breathe. I knew I was in a safe environment. It was a shelter. I ain't like it, but it wasn't no problem. Right, it was safe. It was, it was safe. It was safe and clean. And and the guy that ran it was a Christian. So he was he you know that's where he was at. You ain't had to be a Christian to be in there, but he was, and I am. So we had a lot in common in that regard. And uh, ultimately, I got a job. I, I, I graduated. I went to Georgetown. Georgetown had a program called Pivot to teach you entrepreneur skills. I went there, finished that. Got a job, had you know, saved my money, and was networking with all the social service agencies. When somebody called me and asked me that I wanted a, a place to stay for low income seniors, wind up getting that. Uh, I've been there two years. I just recently brought a car. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had a little minor problems, but I just recently brought a car uh, like last month, and was eight, and and my philosophy is. And it's for the benefit for all your listeners. I don't make no bills I can't pay. If I, if I make it, I'm going to be able to pay it. So if I, if, I, if I can't pay, I don't care what it is, I'm not going to get it. Because I don't want to, I don't, that type of pressure. I don't want to find myself in a position where, you know, the, the adage, rob Peter to pay Paul. I ain't robbing nobody to pay nobody. Mm-hmm. So That's good stuff. So you, So <laughs> how did you come across the Merit of Ministries and, you know, they got you in the, in the, in the Strive program. And, and the Samaritan Ministries, the thing about that was, they got, they got in the District of Columbia, they got, uh, they network, do a lot of networking, so they sent out this app that say, do you want to be linked to all the services that, you know, that, that's available for you? And I said, yeah. So I signed up for it. Samaritan Ministries was a part of that, was in that network. And I seen, and I seen it say, they say, do you want $125 for participating in this program? Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking, okay, yeah, that's easy money. I'll go there, get in the program, sit for a couple of hours, go collect my money. No, 
they had you had to sit you had to sit for like four weeks, and in the four weeks process, they they you know critical thinking they told you critical thinking, they told you how to do a resume, they told you how to interview, you know, they told you uh, how to interact with people, they told you you know how to stay centered in terms of when things come up, don't make don't make that like a nuclear, don't make it like oh well it's a problem, don't make it a nuclear problem, just make it. Look at it in the context it's in, that everybody has problems. Like a vicissitude, we talk, we yeah. talk just a little, just a little bump, just yeah. a challenge. And 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 take it in stride, right? And mm -hmm. that and that's how I wind up getting with them. And I, I graduated, and I credit them. I credit them with helping me develop the social skills, the initial social skills I needed. Cause COVID hit right after, right after I got put out. COVID hit right during that process. So. I'm at, it's at the height of COVID. Everybody remember COVID, the entire nation was shut down. And everything was structured. Everything was like, like you know, you couldn't go places, you couldn't do certain things, and you, and you had to be in the house by a certain time. Wasn't a whole lot of moving around. And, but for me, I was in a comfortable environment, like a mm -hmm. controlled environment. Mm -hmm. So I was comfortable with it. And I, and, and I was learning how to utilize the uh, computer. I was... I was become more proficient in uh, doing things online because everything was online. And I was working, and, and so, and I was in the District of Columbia, and where I was working at, public transportation got me there and got me back. I was really focused on, on, on like, really saving money. And I, and I was thinking, because of Pivot, I mean, uh, Samaritan Man, I was think, always thinking that I gotta pay bills. So the money I'm getting, don't take the money as money, because I'm not paying no rent where I'm at. Take the money as if you're paying bills. So I'm always saving. That's right. So I'm saying, okay, I'm, I'm eventually I'm about to pay rent. Mm -hmm. Eventually I'm about to pay phone bill. Eventually I'm about to pay this. Eventually I'm about to pay that. You know, I, uh, I was getting an EBT card, which is called food stamp. I was getting that. So I said, okay, is it, I, okay, I got all, I got money. Just go buy. No, I'm budgeting. So. Mm -hmm. All right, and so then you 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 did the you went through the Samaritan Ministries program. You graduated through the the Stride program. You got you got employment. You got housing. You got a vehicle. You know, but a lot of folks, you know, after that long journey that you had, um, after that long long journey, you know, and then you have another minor setback. You know, a lot of folks would have quit at that point. You, you became homeless. A lot of folks would have said, you know what. This is, and it would have been very, very easy to revert back. What, what was it that kind of kept you going? What, what was it that, that, that really made you say, you know what, no, I'm not quitting, I'm not going back. I'm going to keep going on, on my plan. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to say one word, Jesus. I'm, I, I, can t I can take claim for everything, but I can't take claim for that. God's grace and God's mercy. And when I told you when I left, when I left, I said, no matter what, I'm always gonna stay in the presence of the Lord. And so that became my mantra. So that's where I went at. Mm -hmm. So even in, in the troubled time, and I trusted the process. I believe. I said, okay, you say you got me. You say I'm your child. Okay. Well, here go your child needing help. Here go your child being homeless. Here go your child struggling. Here go your child frustrated. Here go your child having problems. Here go your child having doubt about in your face. I'm telling you these things about me. So now, let, now tell me what to do. You know, sh show me where to go. And, and, and everything was just, look, stay the course. Because I wasn't, 
You know, I'm in an environment where they're using drugs. I'm, I'm just not, just not like a, you know, but at the same time, I said, you know what, I'm gonna I'm, I'm, I'm I'm stay right here because I set up this thing I'm doing. I'm gonna stay right here. It's paying, the, you know, I'm getting paid for doing it and I'm, and, and I'm comfortable with that. I got a certain discipline. I'm gonna hold on to that. I learned that from being incarcerated. You know, one thing you learn from being in prison is adjusting. You gonna adjust in prison, you know, cause you, you, you gonna, they gonna move you from one cell to another. You gonna adjust. You don't have to. You gonna have to. If you, right. yeah, yeah, you, ain't <laughs> you ain't got no Come to your cell and say, look, uh, pack up, you moving. What I've been here for? Hey, you moving, you're moving. Where you wanna move? You wanna go to the cell we got planned for? Or to the whole right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you're moving. Right. <laughs> and right. so that and that and that's what it was, you know. And I and 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 you know, I know that sounds like a cliche, you know, and I know that like a lot of people, you know, have faith and some people don't. But that it was just that simple. I I chose to trust in God. I chose to believe that God got me. I chose to accept. Whatever was going on with me, it's God saying that's what's going on with me. Couldn't have been worse than the 48 years. It's not. I ain't got a place to stay. I'm in a shelter. Not worse than waking up and not them not opening the doors up for like nine months. You know, not worse than that. Not worse than coming out of the cell with a knife on you and the probability of having a confrontation. Not worse than being stabbed, which I was. Not worse than that. Not worse than being stomped half the death I was. Not worse than that. This right here is, is controllable and manageable. I, I'm, I'm in a shelter, and everybody mind their business. The only way I, only way it become a problem is I get in your business. Mm -hmm. And I'm not getting, I'm, my mantra was six months minding my business and six months leaving the next man's alone. So I was in a good space. Right. And so I, you know, so that's, and, and, but I trusted and I believe, and even to the day, I trust and believe. I don't, you know, when, when I went and got the car, I, I saved up for the car. I said I ain't gonna want no note. And, and, and I went there with a certain amount of money I was gonna spend. And I got the vehicle that I wanted. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I hadn't had no driving experience. And I dad gonna near kill myself like 20 times. Right. <laughs> but, I, but, I trusted that, mm -hmm. but I trusted that God wasn't gonna let me be the the bumper Not gonna on let the you come yeah, this far. Yeah, right. be the bumper on the tra track the trail. Right. <laughs> Right, can't come this far. Nah, and, and, and I trust it, and, and I believe, and you know, I make you know, in, in the, the, the liberty of it. But the reality is that that's what I did, and that's what I chose. It, it, it might not be for somebody else, and I don't, and I don't tell you that. I'm saying for me, when you ask me what it was, that's what it was, and that's what it is, and that's what it's going to always be. I'm not going to never go back to not trusting. You know, mm -hmm. I'm not going to never. And you know, we 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 you know our families and our parents they tell us that. And you know, and when we're young, we don't care about that. We don't think about that. But then when you know, when you see the reality that I know that I'm only here because of by God's grace. I don't. I can't. You know, ain't nothing else that can say that. Ain't nobody else can tell me that. I'm 70 years old. Mm -hmm. You know, I could be a babbling maniac right about now. And I've known people that got out this. You know, they couldn't make the adjustment memory and went right back. I mean, immediately because they couldn't make the adjustment and they're comfortable in the environment. I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm thankful to be able to wake up and go to the icebox and eat what I want to eat. I'm thankful for somebody to want me to come on the show and talk to them. I'm thankful for these things. I don't take these things for granted. 
Well, you're, you're an inspiration. I mean, and, and that brings me to the, the quote of the day by Newt Gingrich, who said, perseverance is the hard work you do after you get tired of doing the work you already did. And, and so that's perseverance. And you, you know, you're, you're an inspiration to, to not letting the circumstances mm -hmm. define you. Right. And, and even though there were some circumstances that got you in those circumstances, you were able to push through, persevere, you know, and now you're on, you're on speaking tours, you're, you're talking at churches, you're doing other speaking events. How would, how would folks get a hold of you if they wanted to, wanted Wait, to reach you? And I, you can reach me with my email, um, Hopkins the number four, at gmail.com. Okay, Hopkins 4 yeah, at gmail.com. Gmail okay, and then if you could just, and, and I know you're working with, a, with several nonprofits now. What are, the, what are some of the areas of focus that you're working on now? In the, you know, I know you're big in, in uh, community activism and things. What are, what are some of the, your pet projects right now? Right now, my pet, my pet project is uh, I'm, I'm doing a podcast called Rod, Rattling the Bars, and it, it has a social agenda. That's my pet peeve because it, it highlights a lot of things going on with people in the social set. And I, I work, but I'm primary, my primary source of income is an organization called Voices for a Second Chance. It's in District of Columbia and deal with helping men and women coming home and giving them the resources that they need. But more importantly, everybody, the majority of people that work there are returning citizens, much like myself. And so when a person sits across from us, we can identify with them and we can understand them and we know how to get them to stay focused, to be like me, you know, because a lot of the people in that space, you know, just like went through the same, some similar things I went through, they worked there and was able to overcome. And so that's really uh, one of my pet peeves. And just being in the church, you know, and doing things with the church. Uh, we was talking off camera, you know, and I, I'm motivated to do some other things with the church. Mm -hmm. Because I think, and I really believe, and I'll close on this point, I really believe that if, you know, we can get people to get a spiritual foundation and, and, and be comfortable with it and trust it, they, they'll overcome a lot of things. Society will change because I'll trust the Lord or I'll trust the, whatever spirituality I'm in as opposed to, like you say, letting conditions define me mm -hmm. and then letting the hardship become the problem and letting the hardship become everything that I look at as opposed to saying, well, you know, it's, it's a light at the end of the tunnel. You know, what God said about the rainbow. It's a reminder that I'm always with you. Yeah, focus on the light. Focus on the happy place. <laughs> yeah, not yeah. focus on the, the problem. Right, right, because you're always going, you know, like, you're going to have problems. It's, it's, if, if it wasn't, then how would we know, like, our strengths? So but it's how you deal with them and how you engage them. Right. Well, you're, you're an inspiration to me, and, uh, and I'm sure you, I know you're an inspiration to others, and you're changing lives. And, and the, I think the biggest thing is that not only did you change, but now you're affecting the lives of hundreds of other people, potentially thousands of other people, with your, with your projects and, and, and their returning citizens and helping them get, get placed in society and, and acclimated. So I appreciate you, and, uh, and yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you for, thank you, uh, Charles, for coming thank on. You, thank you for having me on, Mel. Right. You know, what do you say? Let's talk real with Mel. Yeah. Well, we just talk real. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Bring it on!